Welcome to this week's lounge at the CWE. I'm Tia. I'm Louise. And I'm Bria. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing what things we're doing to sustain ourselves during quarantine, um, the hot topics of the day, our topic of the day, which is women in gaming, and then answering a question from an Emory student about burnout. How do we deal with it? All right. So let's get started. Louise, what you watching, what you reading, what you listening to? Okay, currently I'm not watching any TV, but I've been watching a lot of YouTube video essays. I just watched one about this uh, anime artist named Satoshi Khan, who's pretty cool. Um, currently reading The Culture of Narcissism by Christopher Lash and listening just anything Spotify tells me to listen to. <laughs> you like their recommendations? I mean, sometimes, yeah, but it's just been a slow music period for me, you know? Spotify is pretty on it most of the time, I feel like. Yeah, so like the made for you is very helpful, right? Right. Bria, what you watching, what you reading, what you listen to? Um, I'm also not watching TV. <laughs> I've been watching a bunch of YouTube. Um, I've been watching, which is relevant for today. I always watch like video game playthroughs, um, with, like my favorite YouTubers, because they're just so funny. And it's like the games that I'm like, I know I'm not going to pay for this or sit down and buy it. So why not watch somebody else enjoy it for me? Um, reading <laughs> research papers. I wish I had time to read for fun, but I don't because I'm working on my thesis and everything. So literally just research papers about like everything public health. My life is public health. Um, listening to same thing, whatever Spotify recommends me, I've gotten to the habit of like, I have my playlist, but then like once it starts, you know, it'll do like a personal radio for whatever song was like the last song and it'll just go. So Spotify hasn't filmed me yet. And it's just, it's a mix. Like if you looked at my playlist, you would be like, who is this person that's listening? Because it's all over the place. There's city girls in one spot. There's K-pop in another spot. There's like the weekend in another spot. I'm like, it's like. I think that's your interest in general. Like you're generally all over the place. I, I didn't. I Sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> so for me, um. For the last few days, probably this week, I've been binging um, the Fargo series. Oh, how's that? It was actually really good. Um, I think the movie has like been affected in it, but I've never watched it. And this one, um, I think it's supposed to break down the, the movie. And it's basically a lot of murder. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and small town mystery in this uh, little city in Minnesota. And they kind of follow along the same lines as the first season and made season two and three. Um, and there's some people that appear in like the other seasons, but it really entrapped me. And I recently binged also The Truth, which is the story of the abduction of the Getty grandson. Well, the, one of the famous uh, stories is the abduction of the billionaire Getty grandson. He was... Uh, basically planned it himself, but then it kind of turned on him and became an actual kidnapping. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird because he needed money from his family to pay off a debt, but um, they wouldn't give it to him. And so the people that got him asked for like $17 million and the grandfather kind of refused and then offered something way lower. And it's like, how do you not pay for your grandson? <laughs> right. 
But I think you should watch it. There's one season. It's called Truth. It's on Hulu. Okay. Colin, what are you listening to? Um, I'm listening to Jasmine Sullivan's new single, uh, Lost One. She hasn't put out a single in like five years, I think, or at least an album. Yeah. And then um, I came across this other artist named Adeline. It's a recommendation from Elaine Welteroth. Um, and they have this song called Mango that I've been really listening to a lot. And then I'm reading, I'm starting to read a book that was gifted to me for my birthday. And it's called The Colored, The Heads of the Colored People. It's a list of um, essays and stuff, stories. And so I haven't really gotten into it yet. So I can't really talk much about that. But, you know, I like a good book for my birthday. What is the hot gossip? Tell me everything. Let's talk about the hot gossip. What's What have you been looking at? What have you been seeing in the media? <laughs> Well, what I'm bringing to the table is the Jessica Krug. I think that's how you say her last name. The woman that pretended to be black. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's her. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> and from what I saw, she did this in her entire career. And I think she resigned, or at least the history department where she was in is calling for her to resign from her position. And was only going to come forward because she got found out. Wait, can you like tell me a little bit more about her? Because like I don't, I haven't heard much about her, and I don't understand how someone could have gone away with that for so long. Everybody knew, right? Like, yeah, Rachel Dolezal <laughs> 2.0. So basically, I think she's a history and political science professor um, at George Washington, maybe University, and had been doing a lot of work had received a lot of like grants and support from different um, organizations based on like her posed blackness. Um, and I think there was a student basically that was really persistent about like having her help with their work or something like that. Somebody was just really persistent and asking questions and it had been rumored or at least people thought about her not being black before, but like, that's like asking people to show you their papers. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, like, how do you ask that question? Like, prove to me you're black. But it, some people had wondered that before. And within the last few days, it came to light that she indeed is not black. Um, she's a white Jewish woman. And um, I read something that said that her family did know she was doing all of this. Um, but she's also been estranged for them for, like, two decades. And so there was no one really to call her out on what she was doing because, you know, everybody else that had seen her, she'd been playing this lie. My God, I feel like I could see like a YouTube video essay about her that's like an hour too long. <laughs> you know they're coming. You're probably gonna yeah. go on YouTube and you're recommended. She's gonna. Be no, like, I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> I'm like ready. People have been coming for her. I haven't been as too much into like what people have said about her because, like I said, I've been binging. TV shows. Um, but when I saw it, I was just like, why is this happening again? Right to those, I was what, 2015? Yeah. Or something like that. Did Brad when she happened. So yeah. Did Jessica Krug like research African American history specifically or just like history in general? No, it was very um culture based. And a lot of it was, I think, Puerto Rican. Oh, okay. And she used like this really fake Bronx accent. So basically any like stereotype of like um, 
Afri- African Latina women, like she tried to use it all. That makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> like why? <laughs> right. I would be uncomfortable too. I'm just like, why? Like, the thing is like, did she ever say like, why? Like, what would, like, what is the reason? Like at le- Rachel at least was like, I feel like I'm black. What's going on? <laughs> what, is, what is her deal? That part, I don't know. Um, we'll have to find out more about that. Oh, okay. Well, what I brought was something that I think that happened earlier this week. So this couple in California decided they're going to have a gender reveal. And they decided what they needed for their gender reveal was like a pyrotechnics machine that would blast either pink or blue, depending on the sex of their child. Um, And instead of doing either of those things, it let set a fire that spread like 7,000 acres in California and like turned into like a massive thing that firefighters had to go out and fight. Oh, and I just, whenever I read it, I was just like, gender reveals have gone too far. (laughs) (laughs) But this isn't the first fire from a gender reveal. Are you serious? (laughs) How many have there been? I I don't know if this is the first fire, but I mean, they've been getting- No, it's not. It's not the first fire. Oh, I thought you, okay. I thought you were asking me. So it's literally even Even one is too many. Like, (laughs) even one is enough to be like, okay, we've gone too far. I think they're dumb to begin with, but why a pyrotechnic machine? Like, right? it's not that serious. Listen, my thing is cut your cake and go. Get some cupcakes, make them pink or blue in the inside. (laughs) Boom, there you go. It's a gender reveal. I don't understand. I saw one a few days ago where um, they put something inside a balloon and so they popped it with a pin. And so it was like confetti or something. And so the confetti came out either pink or blue. Right. People do that all the time. Like, it's really not that deep for you to do pyrotechnics. What extra flair do you need? <laughs> all you need to know is, is it pink or is it blue? Like, that's it. Like, if you're so, because I know people are still super wrapped into the idea of doing like gender reveals and stuff. So I'm like, if you're that wrapped up into it, like you really want to have like that, just do something basic that everybody can escape from unharmed. <laughs> But now you see the fires in California, right? Like looking up to orange skies, it's completely like you can't see the sky or the sun or the skyline. It looks very eerie and and it's so dangerous because now there's like ash falling from the sky. People are already having air quality issues and now this. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that because my sister lives in California and like she has to wear a mask in her car. The fact that this these people are really doing a gender reveal party with pyrotechnics, like the, the audacity, like just so odd. It's, you don't need to do that. I feel like a band's coming. Like there has to be some kind of band of like, you cannot do X, Y, and Z <laughs> when hosting a gender reveal. Because <laughs> specifically for gender reveals, specifically like here are the, your gender reveal restrictions. Right. Cross this line. This is it. But people are doing so much. They have like videos of like people doing like doing like rocket launcher type deals. Louise, what you got? Basically, I found this out yesterday that the Oscars have new requirements for best picture. They're going to come into effect in 2024. Basically, to be nominated, you have to have at least 30% of your cast and crew be either people of color or some other have some other marginalized identity. And on the one hand, I guess it's good that the Oscars are finally trying to be diverse. But on the other hand, it really feels like this is some kind of tokenistic thing. 
And I, I'm just, I'm not sure how to feel about it. So how do you all feel? It's 30% in the production or like 30% in the both. cast. Okay. I, I, I don't know how to feel about that because I do feel like tokenism is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't oh, feel I, right to me. Thing, and um, which is that the main storyline yeah. or subject matter needs to be centered on an underrepresented group. So they list like women, racial, ethnic groups, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities. And I just, yeah. Nominated? Oh, I feel like there's a way to balance like, you know, artistic merit with not being an can I, not being like a jerk about diversity and like excluding people, you know, like there's a way to hire yeah. people who are skilled, who aren't just white men. And then also like tell a story. If there's like a story that's just like about a white guy and it happens to be a really wonderful story, like what are you going to do? Like throw in a bunch of black and female people in the story like it just it just feels odd yeah i i agree like some stories can be told and it can have a white person in it as the lead but i don't think everything has to go in that direction um it makes me think about the whole controversy around mulan right now as how they have an entire cast um of chinese actors but all of oh, the writers were white you know? oh and Mulan's had a lot of controversy. Yeah, I don't like the way that, where this is headed. But no, I don't. My biggest issue with this whole thing is that, like, you're trying to throw in these guidelines and say, okay, here's your criteria to hit to even make it here. You know, this little, what is it, 30? You said 30%? This little mm-hmm. 30%. Yeah, 30%. inclusion to make it fit. It's like you wouldn't even have to have these requirements or these inclusions if you would have acknowledged all the like filmmakers who you've been ignoring this whole time in the first place. Like they have so many smaller filmmakers and smaller films that fit these criteria and beyond who have been part of marginalized identities and have been making great works that have just been like blatantly ignored like the whole time. So like for me, it's like, how are you going to set criteria when you still haven't even like looked in their direction? You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. people who are making great work. And- right just ignored for people who may be the same exact filmmakers, same exact directors, producers, whatever, who just are going to fit like the tokenism Mm -hmm. have to, to fit in and then just probably end up getting nominated anyway. Like it could be the same nominees over again, just with a slightly different cast. Right. So yeah, there's no talk about like the quality of their work. It's just the fact that they're of a diverse or marginalized community. Like exactly. (laughs) I, I don't know. Like the one thing that gets to me is really just like probably the storyline slash subject matter part because like it, it feels weird that they're requiring a certain type of story. Like they really want a story that is about an underrepresented experience. And like it's awesome if we can get that. But if you require that, I feel like there are going to be a lot of people who just make that story because they want the nomination, not because they actually care because they have like anything good to say. And you know, it's probably going to be like garbage. Yeah. Probably going to be like a white male director who like just happens to have a team of like 30% non-white people. And this, it's probably gonna be like exactly the same, except now he can like call himself a white savior. Right. Exactly. Now they're going to get praised for making this innovative, moving story 
that has been made a million times before just by people who are actually part of the demographic. Yeah, and they'll find some way to justify like, well, this is what you told me to do. This is something that's marginalized. It has not really happened that often before. Here you go. Oh, one interesting thing is that I just saw this, that um, the film's distribution, production, and financing company need to also have uh, like paid opportunities for women, racial, ethnic, minorities, LGBT, people with cognitive physical disabilities, which I guess this is their way of trying to make it so that like the industry isn't just dominated by like white guys. Mm-hmm. This, one, this one I feel a little less upset about because mm-hmm. internships are like literally the lowest of the low. Right. So like it would be cool to let in. I mean, intern- interns don't often do a lot on production sets anyway. So I feel like that's not so bad, but it would mean a lot of reorganizing within the industry. And a lot of companies are need to, are going to have to like scramble to find people, which, may have some interesting effects in the next four years. I'm really interested to see the reactions that people are going to have to this. And that's my thing. This is my question. Do y'all think they're going to stay to that? Or you think they're going to actually stick with that? Because I don't. I mm-hmm. think they're going to But then what are they going to do? Like the Oscars is like, you know, that big award. No, I think the Oscars isn't going to stick to it. Not the, the creators. Oh, you mean like not the actors and stuff? That I think, yeah, I think the Oscars is going to backtrack on, I feel like the Oscars going to end up backtracking on that. I just feel in my spirit like they will at some point, because it doesn't go into effect, what, 2024? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Time. I feel like they're going to backtrack on that. Now, if they'll backtrack and change it or make a different version, I don't know, but I don't think they're going to stick to it, because I think they're going to get either so much backlash or it's just going to be, end up in a scenario where the the films that they weren't would pick or the films that they were favor all of a sudden aren't popping up anymore. And the filmmakers and stuff aren't popping up anymore that they're going to be like, Oh snap. Like, I think they're going to get pushed in a corner. I don't think they're going to stick to it. I think they're going to throw throw out the rule at some point. If they stick to it un- until 2024, I will be shocked. Like I will be like, Oh my God. <laughs> One thing I thought was funny is that the article I'm looking at, it's on deadline. The photo that they chose is a screenshot from green book. <laughs> so oh, tell <laughs> that movie. Oh my gosh. I was telling my friend about that movie um, the other day. Cause she was like, cause she just heard about it in passing and like um, whatever else. And then, she mentioned, I was like, and I literally was like, oh, that movie. And she was like, what's wrong with Green Book? And I was like, oh, you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Lovecraft Country, but um, I was telling somebody that I wish they had talked about the Green Book, how they talk about um, the guide in Lovecraft Country. Why? What, what's wrong with them? I haven't watched Lovecraft Country yet. I mean, so Lovecraft Country, not to talk about like the actual plot in that, but the uncle that's in there, he he puts out a guide similar to the Green Book. I don't. He never says Green Book, so I can't say that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But it basically goes over towns um, where it's okay for Black people to stay, where it's okay for them to eat, and goes into great detail, which is what the Green Book was. Right. It was a guide to travel for Black people. And so none of that is mentioned in the Green Book movie. Right. Like we see him not being able to go into like certain hotels and stuff, but nobody, there, there's no mention of like how that was created and how it was really done. It's time for our couch conversation. 
And we're going to go into our topic of the week, which is women in gaming. Um, so just to like get us started off, I'm really interested to see like how y'all got actually into gaming overall. Um, so I guess I'm going to start with Tia. Tia, how did you first get into gaming, period? <laughs> well, I got into gaming because my brother was into gaming, my older brother. Um, he had an Atari when we were growing up, and I always wanted to play with him. Um, I wasn't as coordinated with him um, as far as like shooting games and things like that. But as I got older and could get my own game console, I was very much a fan of like Nintendo. I had the Nintendo. I had the Super Nintendo. My cousin had the Sega Genesis and so on. And so like I've played various games all my life, got into video games when I got um, a home computer. And so started doing some of those. And one of the fun facts about me is uh, I learned how to drive on the computer. My mom found, because she was very nervous to, to show me how to drive. Um, it had a driver's course where you could pick the state where you lived in and it would um, change up, you know, the road regulations and things like that. And so I had to take a written test for everything on there. And then it was a driving simulation of like parking, making right turns, making left turns, stuff like that. And so I had to pass it on the game before I could actually get in the car. And so, oh, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I've done all sorts of stuff like um, ACT prep, GRE prep, role playing games. Um, only game that I really can't get into is like sniper game. It's something about the aiming and oh, the like shooters. Yeah, and the scope of it all, like, I've never been able to maneuver that correctly. I feel like if you're not used to first-person games or first-person shooters, like, it's a lot to get used to. Because it's so different from being like, oh, here's my little person walking around, like, I am this person. I have to move around. To me, it's just so hard. <laughs> I, and I've played Call of Duty, um, some other stuff. And it's just, I got killed every time. <laughs> That's real. I was I didn't really get into first person games until like high school to really be able to be like hand eye coordination. Okay, let's really get it done. Yeah. So how did you get into it? Oh, I psh, I was really thinking about this earlier. So I got into gaming um, because whenever I was about I think I was six years old for Christmas, uh, my papa bought me a PlayStation One. Um, and I think it's just because like my mom worked shift work. So I would like, back then I would stay with my granny and papa when she had been at work. She worked like 12 hour shifts. So like whenever I would come home from school and I would finish my homework, I'll be my granny and papa. And like, yeah, we would watch like soap operas and like old Westerns together. But after a while, like when you're like, like six, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Like TV. So I think they just got it for me for me to be like more like entertained. Um, but then from there, like, I really don't think they expected it to escalate. <laughs> like, because it escalated so fast. It's just like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, she likes video games. Like, oh, okay. That's an easy gift. Like, for holidays, like, we'll get her a video game. Get her a video game. And then it was like, I got older and it was like, my mom was like, oh, okay. Here's the PlayStation 2. Like, all right. Here's more video games. <laughs> and then, like, I got to like a teenager. And it was like, okay, here's the PlayStation 3. This is the last console I'm ever buying. You don't have to for any other console ever again. I mean, they progressively got more expensive too. They did. They got a lot more expensive. So like it was that. And then like at a point, like when I was a teenager, my mom like had a moment where she was like, you cannot ask for video games for present <laughs> anymore because I okay, she would still get them for me, but I couldn't ask. Oh. 
be like, what do you want for your birthday or for Christmas or whatever? Like I was not allowed to name a video game. Like I had to go about <laughs> something else, but she would still go out and like look or go to like Walmart and stuff and ask like the people in the video game section, like, oh, what games are popular right now? What are you um, playing? I play, I play so many different things. I mainly play RPGs and JRPGs. I love horror games. Um, just scary games in general have always been the move um for me i remember being a little kid and playing like the resident evil i think it's a resident evil 2 demo and then i couldn't play video games with the lights off for like years after oh. because i remember that it was like back in the day when like demo discs used to come in the mail so like you subscribe to the playstation magazine you got a demo disc in the back of the magazine and they used to be life because you get to like it would be like 15 demos on one on one disc um, and I played That's the, cool. I think it was a Resident Evil 2 demo. And I just remember like that because it's like the slow door opening effect every time you open a door. So it's like you go to a door, you go to a new room, you have to go, and then it would be like a zombie on the other side. I was shook. I was like, no, never again. So like from that point on, it didn't matter what I played. I had to have my lights on, like all the lights on in my room. Um, but yes, yeah, so I love scary games to this day. I love fighting games. Um, again, demo disc Tekken. Um, I used to play against my mom and my uncle because they like fighting games. They, my mom gets both of them, so she couldn't play. Like, I play like Crash Bandicoot and all that, but she would get sick when he would spin. <laughs> so she would play fighting games against me, and then my uncle would play fighting games against me. Um, and then racing games too, which I feel like that's just like a like everybody can play a racing game. Louise, you're a big racer, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> um, I am a. I'm not like a huge gamer or anything, but I special like out of all my talents in life, one of them is Mario Kart. I'm an ex excellent Mario Kart player. Um, I first got it on the Wii when I was younger, and I have just been playing it ever since. I have the app right now. Um, I even paid five bucks for the monthly like pro version of it or whatever. But my video game journey started when I was like in elementary school. My sister bought a DS for 50 bucks, like a refurbished one. And we hid it from our parents because mm -hmm. they didn't really let us like have anything, anything like that. And I just like play a lot of nerd games. Like I would play this game that was full of riddles and mysteries. And you had to like uncover puzzles and stuff. Um, but nowadays I really just like, you know, Mario Kart as usual. And then I play a lot of iPhone games. Like I'm super big into like Fruit Ninja 2048, like the basic stuff that you heard of 10 years ago, but I didn't have an iPhone back then. So I'm like living that moment now. Okay. I also really like Undertale and of course, Animal Crossing. <laughs> yes. Animal, Animal Crossing is a big phenomenon. It's people who have never played it, like they don't get it. And they're like, why is this interesting? But like, once you have your own town, it really grows on you. Like, I don't know how to explain yeah. this. You have to go on it every day. Like, you have to. <laughs> Who's your favorite villager? That's such a hard question. <laughs> um, I really like Cookie. She's like a pink dog. And she's oh. just like very sweet. Yes. Yeah. My favorite vi villager is Lyman. He was one of my favorite. Vi he's a green koala. I don't think I've ever had him. <laughs> he's a green koala and he's like a like a jock because they all have personality. Oh, right, right a jock type so he talks about like he's so cute but he talks about like let's go for a jog i was like doing a curls this morning <laughs> uh, and like i just oh he's my absolute favorite i am so fascinated by this whole animal crossing like love because <laughs> i played it recently i don't know maybe i'm just not playing it enough 
Was it your own village or was it like someone else's? Mine. Oh, and you didn't like it that much. Yeah, I, I don't right now. <laughs> yeah, if you don't appreciate it, like share it with others. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I can get into it. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Maybe I just don't give it enough time. I think also you need to like know some of the secrets. Okay. So like, th- there aren't really that many, but it's like you know, to get money, you you can like hit the rocks with your shovel or like shake trees, and you'll get money that way. They're like, if you get a boomerang, you can shoot stuff out of the sky. Um, get like free stuff by interacting with the villagers. You can go into the city and like, there are different versions. So maybe this isn't like the version you have, but in the city, like you can do a lot of different stuff. And in general, if you're the mayor of your village, you like are doing all the upkeep. So you like plant all the flowers and you can like pay more money to get fountains and bridges. And you just like design the whole thing. Right. You can make it whatever you want to. Some people, something that they added um at least for like the switch version they added the dream codes mm-hmm. so it's like a thing where like you can put in somebody else's dream code and actually go visit their island mm. like and basically like drink in a dream oh um, will make really really nice stuff so like before i would see like on instagram like people like uh because like at this point like my explorer feed is like half animal crossing so like people, there's so many different Instagram pages dedicated to Animal Crossing. Like it's a problem because you have like people make whatever. So there are so many people that have made recreations of so many things. Like um, some people make like like scary movie themed islands. Like somebody made a whole island. Um, you know, like Dante's Inferno with like mm-hmm. the rings of hell. Somebody made Dante's Inferno. Oh my god. <laughs> And so literally, there's a lot of people that are gaming right now, you know, pandemic, keep people yeah. in the house. Right, right. Um, and it's obvious, like, all three of us are women. We like to game. Why do you think that there's still such um, harassment towards women in the gaming world? Mm, listen, misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading this article recently. Um, I think NC State did it. And, you know, like esports have become collegiate now, mm-hmm. like with um, all different things. And you can actually be an athlete playing games. Mm-hmm. But it seems like once there's more money in esports at your university or college, they're trying to push women out. And so it's more about like your skill level, as they say, okay. not necessarily like what you can bring to the table or even like shaping people's skill and teaching them certain things in games. And so like, it's always been there with the harassment of women or the sexism in gaming, but now even with it becoming an actual collegiate sport, it's showing up even more. Mm. This isn't necessarily like a, like a justification, but I do think that in culture and in media in general, there is this like, idea of the gamer guy who is like really nerdy they just stay in their house all the time they never talk to anybody things like that and it's so associated with like being a boy mm-hmm. that um it's like i think it's hard for some people to imagine girls actually like to game and so i guess like now that esports is getting big to these like boy gamers they're like oh my god this is like a reclaiming of our masculinity or something weird like that mm-hmm. and you know something to take pride in whereas like this is something that maybe it's bothered them that people call them a nerd. Mm-hmm. And now that they're like getting like careers out of it, they right. want to like keep it for themselves and kind of like gatekeep it from like girls. But um, that's not necessarily justification for doing so. Cause I do think there are a lot of girls who game and like, I know 
League of Legends is like very popular among Asian Americans, like, you know, of every gender. And um, for some reason, my my girl space friends who like play League of Legends, the guys still make weird comments toward them when they're playing. And then like, my friend was joking with me the other day and she was like, yeah, you know, like, I'm not bad at this game because I'm a girl. I'm just bad at this game because I'm bad at it, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And like, some people are so quick to be like, oh, you're bad at this game. Maybe it's because you're a girl. And it's just like, just like think a little bit, you know, like you don't need to make that connection and everyone might have their own biases or whatever, but it's something that you can definitely stop thinking and like break off. Mm-hmm. I think it mimics kind of like the sports thing too. Like in general, like even like physical, like sports, like just the fact like, oh, you're bad at sports. You're bad at this is probably because you're a woman. I feel like it, they kind of line up with each other, but I think for esports and stuff specifically i think also like it can't be ignored kind of the connection between like um the presence of like incels mm-hmm. and, like, gaming too um and i know that was like a whole other thing we've had conversations about like incels and stuff before but i feel like that's something that really can't be ignored the fact that the incel image kind of fits like you were saying like that gamer guy image that's mm-hmm. why they kind of fall in line with each other. And so that hostility too, that's kind of naturally found in incel communities, which also end up being a lot of these guy gaming communities that are popping up and existing everywhere. It's just so interesting to me because, you know, like with the physical sports, it's all about like strength and agility and stuff like that. And, you know, it's assumed of course that women don't come with that. Right. How wrong people are. But like with games, like you're all playing the same console. (laughs) You all have the same like, you know, equipment. There's none of that. But we still in their eyes can't reach that level for some reason. And I just don't understand that. Like even on the same playing field, there's still some kind of hesitation for giving women their props Mm -hmm. when they play a game well. Right. Yeah, I mean, it even happens, like, all the time. Like, I've had it happen recently. I was playing a racing game and literally, like, racing, like, online competing and winning at a race and then, like, talking on the mic and saying, like, good game. And some being being like, oh, like, are you a woman? <laughs> like, oh, you're pretty good. <laughs> like <laughs> That backward compliment, like, oh, you're yeah. good for a girl. <laughs> right. Do you do much interacting online with um, the people you play against? I used to do it a lot more, but like in recent, like as a, which is weird because you would think in quarantine, I would do it more, but in quarantine, I've actually done it less. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess because more people are online on the other side. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I used to a lot more, but now I'm just kind of like, like I'd rather do like my solo story, solo track games instead of online because like, most of the time it's fine. I haven't had that many negative experiences, but the couple of negative experiences mm. I've had, I've just been like, ugh. But at least like PlayStation has gotten like, at least I don't know about like other consoles, but I know PlayStation has gotten better about like interactions with players and like easy reporting, oh. like people not being able to like just friend you mm-hmm. like all that and stuff. But yeah, I don't get online as much as I used to. But when I used to, like, it was just like, I feel like the biggest thing is finding like that same group of people. Um, and so like mm-hmm. on the tours that I'm on, a lot of them, like we play the same game. So it's like, okay, we're all literally going to go play it together. So I don't have to really go find randoms anymore in games. Like I already mm-hmm. have a group of people. Um, 
I don't even know if I want to find randoms anymore. Like, <laughs> well, in, in your search for randoms, do you feel like there's certain types of games that you see um, more women play than others? Because I, I feel like there's an assumption that like girls like this kind of game, boys like this kind of game. Oh yeah, and there was um, just thought about that article, the the E3 article. Um, whenever it was a writer who um, made a list of games for women, like games, like women, here are some games that you would enjoy. And then when you actually look at the list, it was like Sudoku, Tetris, <laughs> um, <laughs> Crossing popped up on there, Sims popped up on there, which I'm like, yeah, those are both valid. All, all the games are valid, but Sudoku and Tetris and um, it was some other, oh, Kim Kardashian home, what was that home improvement or whatever lifestyle that was on the list. Like who, who's playing that? Um, but yeah, there are a lot of assumptions with what games women play, but honestly, I haven't noticed myself a trend. Like I haven't noticed a difference in what games women are frequenting more versus which ones they're not. It's just kind of like more like the games that are more popular for mm-hmm. online play are where I find more women, the ones that are less popular for online play where you find less people. I just end up finding less women. So mm. I've never noticed any trends. I don't know if y'all have noticed any trends or just maybe trends and friends with uh, play. So I was actually thinking about this because I do think that there is kind of an unspoken divide in the types of games. I think there are like soft games and hard games and the soft games would be more like iPhone games and things like things that I would probably play. Um, whereas the hard games are more like maybe the stuff that Brie was talking about earlier, like RPG stuff. Um, but I think that like, I was looking at this article a few years ago and I don't know how valid it still is, but it said that the number of girl gamers actually was starting to outnumber the, the amount of guy gamers. And in the study, it broke it down to see which games um, they were talking about. And they kind of showed that more women were more likely to play like iPhone games and things like that. Um, and so I think that like a lot of it is that there is this kind of divide in like soft and hard games. Um, and you know, we, maybe women are more likely to play one than the other, but that doesn't mean that any one genre can be like exclusively associated with one gender or like any gender. And I think this isn't even just about video games. Like I see this with movies, you know, like Mm -hmm. there are films that women are more often the like main demographic for and they're maybe like they're called chick flicks and like they're they're not necessarily any worse than like other types of movies they're just different and like to say that only women exclusively uh, only women yeah (laughs) to say that like only women like these movies and that these are the only movies that women like it's just not true um so i think that like we should think about like why do we kind of have more respect for certain games than others not not just us, but like you know, gamers in general, and also like not even just games, but like with movies too. Why do we like? Why do people sometimes look down on movies that are about feelings? Like feelings are important too, you know, or like yeah. even hobbies that a lot of girls have, or hobbies that girls are more likely to have. Like let's say shopping, like that's definitely looked down upon too. And like just basically anything that is more likely to be associated with women is often considered like less worthy and i like mm-hmm. i just don't appreciate this mm-hmm. that's weird. i agree that's there's weird. a lot of stuff that's gendered that should yeah. not be gendered <laughs> um i'm currently playing um breath of the wild on nintendo switch oh and it, i've always been a fan of the legend of zelda series like 
hands down, like the best to me. And I've looked up like help for certain areas and things like that. And the main people I see pop up are guys. And mm-hmm. I don't know, like are I don't want to say that they're better players, but I think that sometimes the validity of it is more for men. Like they know how to do this. They do it right. They can do it quickly or whatever. Like, and they get that platform, mm-hmm. but like none of the, stuff that I ever look up, like, do I see women talking about these things? And I know that they play the game too. So I'm just like, I can't be the only woman out there mm-hmm. that's done this or is doing this, but like, are they pushed down in certain areas? Like, you know, walkthroughs or fan pages or things like that, because they don't pop up for me like ever. This is like making me think of Twitch, um, which I, I don't I don't use the site, so everything I've, I'm going to say is like from hearing other people talk about it. Mm-hmm. But like, there are guys and girls who stream their gaming, and I think that like the audience reaction, depending on the gender of the gamer, is really really different. So like, if someone is going to go watch a guy stream on Twitch, it's probably because of their gameplay, or maybe because they just like enjoy the commentary. But I think that with girls, it's very much like, oh, she's hot, or like this is a cute girl and I'm like watching a cute girl play something that I like and you know, nothing wrong with, you know, (laughs) appreciating other people's faces, but it's just, it's weird that even when girls like games and they're like doing the exact same thing as guys, it's just seen in such a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Even as someone who does use Twitch, okay, is <laughs> very, very true. Um, and even then, like there, like there are women streamers that, um, like I'm subscribed to on Twitch that, you know, like literally they just come on there and they literally just come on there to game. Like they just come on there to like you know do online gaming, get the job done, have conversations. But even like randoms who will appear in the chat or things, it's always like I've never watch a guy stream and someone come in the chat make it like a something about their appearance or something or if they lose or mess up or something like that somebody making a big deal out of it. it's kind of like okay laugh brush it off but i've seen like the women streamers that i watch i've seen people come in and say something about their look what they're wearing if they're having a bad match and then all of a sudden it's a big deal like oh you suck so i feel like that trend definitely exists and it's very real like you said like it's and like Tia mentioned, like it's a lot of time when women are doing stuff is sexualized. And it's like this tough middle ground because like there are women and there are some female streamers. I think there's a YouTuber who like she does Twitch and she does YouTube who like talked about like how she felt pressured to like, act a certain way for the stream or act a certain way to keep her subscriber base up and keep it growing because her literally just gaming like the well, other enough. Right, her just gaming with the like like the other guy streamers that she watched literally was not seen as enough. Like they, it was seen that she had to do extra and extra and extra. Having to do twice the work to get the recognition. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that it shows up in like every industry that women can do the work, they have to do twice as much of the work or even like three times as much of the work to get the same type of recognition is ridiculous. And they also get blamed if they don't do it properly and like. Again, this is kind of off topic, um, but I'm. It's part of the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you all know like Lily Singh, that YouTuber who has yeah. a late night show now? Yeah. So she's like one of the first ever women of color, bisexual women of color, who like has um, a late night show, and like 
she did make a kind of a big deal about it in the show kind of maybe like a little bit too much of a big deal like to the point where it was kind of her whole personality on the show and like but the thing is everyone just got so mad like people hated the show and there were so many youtube uh analyses of like how bad the show was and they were saying like oh you're not the first woman of color to have a talk show what about oprah and it's like if the list is you and oprah like i think that can be something right. to be celebrated you know and like even with guys, like, there are plenty of, like, you know, all the Jimmies and stuff. I'm sure if you look at their first seasons, they're not that good either. Every right. person and every talk show host, they, like, need to take their time, find their unique style and before they, like, get into it. And so, like, Lily Singh didn't have a perfect first season. Oh, no. And But then, like, even people who are, you know, very supportive of, like, people of color and women and, like, you know, lots of liberal leftist people, they were also really bothered by the show. And it's, like, I don't think you realize how much extra pressure you're putting on her to succeed and to, like, be everything that you want her to be compared to, like, one of the other white talk show guys who, like, has half the pressure. He just has to do okay. Whereas Lily Singh has to do okay and then also, like, be a representative for this whole community and prove that women of color can, like, do things. Mm -hmm. So much pressure. And I admit that, like, I think when I was younger, I used to like put that on some famous people, but now I'm realizing that's just too much. Mm-hmm. That um, something similar, not with that, but like on the same topic, like being blamed. Um, it was a game that came out, came out years ago, I think 2017, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. So it was like the, I think it was the third game in like the Mass Effect series. Um, and it was terrible. Like, <laughs> like the animations were terrible. They were garbage. Um, and so there was this woman that worked at like EA, um, on like motion capture or whatever, um, who basically somebody like identified as like working on the game or they were like, oh, it's her fault. And so literally out of all the other animators and everybody else working the game, they targeted this one woman off the team who didn't even work on the game. First of all, she just worked at EA. She did not work actually on Mass Effect Andromeda, but they targeted this one woman um from bioware and like harassed her for like months on end and being like this is and then like mis- of course misogynists were like this is why you can't have women involved in gaming and blah blah, blah and da, da, da. What? yeah like people were going in on her and trying to like like literally there was a whole like harassment campaign basically against her because they were like blaming her and being like, you single-handedly ruined Matt. Oh my God. <laughs> like she sat down and made this whole game by herself when she didn't even make the game. She literally only did motion capture <laughs> with EA. That's it. Yeah, apparently if something goes wrong, there must be a woman involved. <laughs> <laughs> literally, that's, that's literally what happened. They were like, it's this one woman. It's her. She's it. She's the reason why this whole game that was a tragic mess and had like, Hundreds of people work on it ended up being terrible. Yes. The audacity. Right. Oh. I can't remember her name, but I remember when that happened. It was like a mess. Like it was horrible. Yeah. So apparently this is just how it is currently in everything. <laughs> yeah. Literally life. <laughs> I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. And I want to think that like things are going to improve and things are going to change. It just seems so hard sometimes because as as we've already said, like we have to put in so much extra work Mm -hmm. just to get minimum recognition. Right. And like, even then I'm like, it's 2020. 
Like, I did not think as a kid playing video games where guys would be like, oh my gosh, you play video games? Like, I did not think that reaction would still be a thing in 2020, but it is. Yeah. And even like, you know, they make some movies of um, certain people playing games or whatever. Like, I never see like girls playing video games. Mm. It's always little boys. Mm. And as as you and I basically have said, like, we grew up doing this. Like right. it's, a, it's a fan, like it's a favorite of us. Right. It's like keeping keeping up with the trends of the games and things. Like you're definitely much more of a gamer than I am, but like I still like to know what's out and what's happening. But I don't know. It's still it's still a place where I love. I just mm-hmm. wish women had more of a face of it. Right. I wonder if, um, because I feel like. Again, I'm gonna talk about movies. But like, I feel like for a lot of movies, people weren't getting the representation they wanted. So mm-hmm. they like indie movies started getting really big recently and like really successful. And you see like companies like A24 doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. Like A24 is a company that did Moonlight and stuff like that. Um, and I wonder if the way for video games to start in like a better direction is if like there are more indie developers. Um, I think that like because it's such a new technology we haven't seen a lot of it yet but like the game I mentioned earlier Undertale that was made by an indie person and um, I think like the protagonist of the story is like non-binary um, so and like that is a game that like men and women really enjoy and like have really loved mm-hmm. it's like super creative so I wonder if we also will need to start looking more at like the indie games that are getting big and see how they try to like change the status quo of gaming. I listened to the read podcast and um, both hosts, Crystal and Kid Fury play games, but Kid Fury has been doing this for a while. And so there'll be people that write into their show talking about like, have, has he played this game or has he and Crystal played this game? Mm-hmm. And like, that's one of the things that he mentioned recently Recently, was like there are certain independent games that he wants to get more support because mm-hmm. they are really dope, but, you know, they're not attached to this big name. And um, one that he was talking about was like it featured dad's dating. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, I've heard of that game. <laughs> I don't remember the name of it, but I know what you're talking about. I know that game. Yeah, and it was like, I think it was like gay dads or something like that. And like, yeah everybody was playing it like it wasn't that big of a deal which is like it's very funny to me where certain stuff you know gets hated on and certain stuff gets supported it's like why like i just don't understand sometimes like i think a at least a positive sign on the indie scene is that a lot of uh like companies like console creators mm-hmm. like making indie games more accessible so like they're linking up with a lot of indie creators to like get them on their platform because I know like Sony has a whole initiative and I think Microsoft has a whole indie game developer initiative too so hopefully we'll be able to start seeing more because we've already seen more now but hopefully we'll be able to get to see like way more on consoles um, because right now indie games like dominate like really the PC like mm-hmm. phone um, but when it comes to consoles, since they've been like basically gatekeeping and keeping them like out of the barrier, I feel like once they start to branch on the consoles more and indie games start being like more expected, I feel like that'll definitely bring some improvement too. Uh, I should probably ask the CWE. 
And this week's question comes from Danny in Detroit. It's the beginning of the semester and I'm already feeling burnt out. What should I do? Danny. (laughs) I I really resonate with that question, Danny. Um, I am also already, I can feel it starting to come upon me. Um, I, I don't know about you all, but like the way that I deal with burnout is the, the problem with me is that I like watched too much TV, which is why I'm not watching TV at all right now. Cause I'm trying really hard to be productive, but basically I think that extreme to do lists like over and over are the way to go. Like if one to do list isn't working for you and it's stressing you out, just make a new one, just move some stuff over. And, um, I recently made one that shows like all the days of the week and I write like hour by hour what I'm going to do because otherwise I'm not going to hold myself to it. And a lot of the times I'm still going to like skip over stuff and just be like, I'm too tired for this. And that's like fine. But I think the way to go is just to know exactly what it is that you have to do and when you need to do it by and like keep that in mind all the time um, and just do it. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a lot easier said than done. And I know that more than anybody, but like this is the way I'm, I'm trying to do it. Do you thrive in structure? I think that I do. And I also don't. Like, it depends. If I if I enjoy the thing, then yeah, structure works for me. But if I, like, really hate the thing, then I will just not want to do it. break out the box. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think for me, like, with burnout, I have to, as I say with most things, you need to feel the feeling. Like recognize that this is what I am feeling. Don't try to um, lessen it because it's a heavy moment or it's a sad moment or some kind of like weight is now over you. Because when you're burnt out, you're mentally and probably physically and emotionally exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get over burnout, you need to replenish yourself. And so you need to recognize that that's what's happening because if you keep pushing yourself, you're just running on fumes and that's not really helping you at all. So I think you need to recognize the feeling, but then also take time to think about the things that build you back up and set aside time, maybe even a day, maybe a couple days to get some of that back into your life. I know for me, even though I'm very introverted, I prefer connection when I'm feeling burnt out or even in my lowest of feelings. Like, I don't necessarily need to talk to anyone, but I like to be in the same space with people. And so my best friend of 20 years since college is really good for that. Like, I'll be in the same room with her or we'll have a certain routine together where we share space and I get, you know, revitalized, replenished. Um, And I like being outside. I definitely enjoy nature. I go on hikes. Um, I usually go on hikes weekly. But the pandemic has my productivity and my ability to do other things at all time low right now. So I haven't been able to do that. But I do feel in my body like when I need that back. And so I think taking a look at what makes you feel a certain way and what brings you up is what you're definitely going to need in those times of being burnt out. What I suggest um and it's kind of, I used to be a Luis where it was like, before this year, I used to be like, oh, I'm feeling the burnout. It's like, boom, 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 deadlines. Okay, we got to try to knock everything out, stay in mind. But now in the year of 2020, I am a Tia. <laughs> and so um, I just 
really, whenever I start to feel burnt out, whenever I start to get worn down, I really, I have to shut it all down. I can't, because I used to be able to force myself to do, sit down and do work and sit down and focus to try to like just power through it. And I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Um, so one thing, because I know you said that it's beginning of the semester, so you're probably a student. Um, make sure you talk to your professors and talk to or admin, whoever you need to talk to um, and let them know. Because right now they're very understanding or uh, from what I've seen, majority of them are very understanding. Um, and let them know, like, hey, if you need to shut it down for a couple of days, then let them know I need to shut it down for a couple of days to do a mental reset. Um, I had to do that like last week. Um, just to not think about classwork, not think about the semester, literally just live life <laughs> for a few days. And I was better after it because, um, like Tia was talking about, that was my booster. That was my reset to really get back in the frame of mind I needed to be to really get started on the semester again and get jumping in my work again. And now I'm feeling better. And so I really just suggest like, taking that time off, like give yourself that time to feel what you're feeling, to do whatever you need to do to just be comfortable, whether that's eat like, you know, junk food or sweets or go out and treat yourself or be with friends or whatever else you have to do just to feel settled. Just do that. Um, Cause I feel like there's a lot of guilt that we experience. Mm. We give ourselves time to indulge with like sucks because it's like, Hey, we deserve time off. Um, so give yourself that time without guilt to say, hey, I just need to rest. Like there's nothing wrong with resting. Um, your body's always going to thank you for it. I do also think that like as someone who does try to schedule everything, I also try to schedule time to like do something productive that I enjoy, mm-hmm. um, like something not school related. So like Tia was talking about hiking, you know, that's her thing. I'm not a hiker, mm-hmm. um, but I like reading or like, you know, or even just like, listening to a podcast and like playing on my phone to me like absorbing that podcast information is still relaxing and then you know at the end of the podcast I'm like okay I finished an episode like time to get back to my my work um yeah everybody has their own thing like nature didn't become mine until like maybe in the last two years I just know that there's something about that space for me Mm -hmm. that does something to me and I don't know I suggest it to a lot of people. Yeah, I love the way you talk about nature because you just sound so yeah. happy. Like, <laughs> you know, nature is Tia's happy place. <laughs> it really is. Y'all should try it. Um, if we were in closer quarters, I would make sure that we did it together. <laughs> this week's quote from A Bridge Called My Back is, our strategy is how we cope, how we measure and weigh what is to be said and when, what is to be done and how, and to whom and to whom and to whom. Daily deciding slash risking who it is we can call an ally, call a friend. We are women without a line. We are women who contradict each other. And that is by Sherry Moraga. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>